Welcome to the podcast, In and Through exists to equip the church to be hearers and doers of the word. My name is Tim, and I am the lead pastor at Memorial Baptist Church in Stratford, Ontario. Canada. Canada. North America. <laughs> and my name is Marshall, Marshall Morden, and I'm the associate pastor at NBC. Did you just do a Bond, James Bond thing? Marshall. Marshall, Marshall Morden. Morden. Yeah, I did. <laughs> right <laughs> you know yeah international spy was my you know primary career choice this is kind of a fallback. i thought you were in insurance <laughs> <laughs> same thing what's you know there's a lot of crossover all right forest and trees because mm. that's what we do because and because we mm. oh my goodness we have a so, forest so whenever we we to start off, we always do the whole, what's the forest? What's the big picture thing? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, today, we need to recognize that there are a lot of forests in the world. That's true. Some are manicured forests, mm-hmm. planted and groomed. You go into the forest and it's all in rows, mm-hmm. beautifully done. Mm-hmm. Some forests are natural and have undergrowth. Some forests are jungles. Yeah. And they're thick. Mm. And even if you wanted to pass through them, there is no getting through them. Mm. And that's where we are today. Yeah. And there's some, you know, strange creatures living in the jungle. <laughs> <laughs> Things that you didn't know existed yeah. that exist there. And you don't know what to do with it. Yeah. Is it healthy? Yeah. Things is it going to bite you? Things that you look at, you know, and you're like, I don't know if I should touch that. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, that that could not have been more appropriate. Oh, we'll um, we'll see how appropriate it is shortly. So the the forest for this is that yes, yes, this is a forest, mm-hmm. a jungle of a forest. Mm-hmm. Welcome to the jungle. <laughs> well, let's get into it. Let's do it. Let's, let's take the machete, and we're gonna hack our way through it, which means we're gonna leave some stuff. We're gonna clear some stuff. Mm-hmm. If ever, if ever there was a time. When people would be unsatisfied with how quickly we move through this reading of the scripture from a 30,000 foot view, it is the next five episodes. I think so, yeah. To note, only five, this and four others left to do this year, and you will have completed your read through the Bible. That's crazy. Chronologically. I'm excited. Or at least you're listening to the podcast. That's right. Through the Bible, chronologically. Sure. But whatever it is, Five more into the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Let's get into it. So we pick up with Paul in Acts. And Silas. Yeah, and Silas. Yeah, I can't forget Silas. And uh, we get to Thessalonica mm-hmm. up in Macedonia. Sure. And they're preaching, doing their thing, starting in the synagogue. Greeks are coming, hearing, believing. And some people are getting upset. And the charge put against them. For their teaching is that these men have turned the world upside down. Yep. Would, wouldn't you love to be Paul there going, right here, that's me. <laughs> yeah, that's like, yeah, they, I mean, they obviously meant it as an insult, but I'm sure Paul was wore that with a badge oh, yeah. of honor. <laughs> oh, yeah. So 
I know we've got so much to do today, so I'm going to tell this story really quickly. Okay, go. I, I love Acts chapter 17. One mm. of the hardest things to do as a pastor is to show up and preach a one-off. Mm. Preaching a one-off sermon as a guest speaker at a church, for me, is a nightmare. Mm. I'm a big context guy. I'm a big the journey of the teaching kind of guy. And I have no clue what the four people ahead of me have talked about or what the guy after me is going to talk about. Right. And I'm always afraid that I'm going to show up and just say what has already been said. Right. And, and I don't like that. One of, the, one of my go-to passages is to pick this up okay. and talk about how we are separate local bodies of the greater body of Christ. We are all about turning this world upside down. Yeah. The problem is, because of Genesis chapter 3, this world was turned upside down. Mm. And our work as the church and bringing the gospel is to flip the world right side up. Ooh, I like that. Mm. What that'll, a, that'll preach. What a lost world views as upside down yeah. is actually a corrective mm. and is making things right side up. I love that analogy. Nice. My, my go-to with this is to talk about how uh, this is a riot, right? Like, Yep. The Greek is talking about these men have started a riot, mm -hmm. right? And to talk about the way that we stir the pot, mm. things have settled sort of where they are naturally. Everyone is doing what is right in his own eyes. And it's our job to stir the pot. Why? Because if you don't stir the soup, it's going to burn. Mm. I had an opportunity to go to Russia to teach at a seminary there. And while I was there, I was asked to preach at one of the churches and so this is what I grabbed, right? And my point was going to be like, you guys are going to stir the world here, and we're gonna, I'm going to go back to Canada, and we're going to stir the world there, and eventually we're just going to be the preservation of the world through the gospel mm -hmm. as we are called to be the salt, right? Mm, sure. I've had a lot of opportunity to do international ministry. I understand that cross-cultural references don't always work. Uh -oh. I have taught missions training where my primary focus is do not bring your culture into other people's cultures. Right. I consider myself somewhat skilled and aware in this area. I had this young lady as my interpreter who had gone off from this little village in south central Siberia to a big city to learn English interpretation and had come back after a year of school away just to interpret my sermon wow. in front of all of her church family to show them what she had learned. Okay. I'm preaching this exact message that I just gave to you, and she's, I notice she's not tracking with me. Mm -hmm. And I look over at her, and we're trying to work. Sometimes you just got to work it out, right, like mm -hmm. between you and the interpreter. So I'm like, hey, you know, I'm not going to just keep going. I'm going to work this out with you. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, you know, stir the soup. Right? Because if you don't, it'll burn. And she's just looking at me. I'm like, borscht soup. Uh-oh. Right? Made her cry. She's crying because she doesn't know where to go with it. You know why? Apparently in Russia, you don't stir soup. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> you cook it so low oh, no. all day long that there's no reason to stir it. The soup doesn't burn from settling at the bottom. And my analogy made no sense. How was I to know that in Russia you don't stir soup? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's fair. Made the poor girl cry in front of her whole church family. <laughs> oh, no. She's gone off to the big city to become the educated one <laughs> and comes back 
and feels like she made a fool of herself and oh, let man. everyone down. I still to this day feel like a jerk. <laughs> wow. That was that was not that was helpful great. to anyone. I mean, that was yeah, but it was entertaining. But that's my Acts 17 story. Uh, Paul and Silas go to Berea. The Bereans are just the best kind of church. More noble than the Thessalonians. <laughs> as, Luke, as Luke wants to point out. <laughs> best kind of church, best kind of believer. They receive it, but they test it. Sure. They search the scriptures, mm-hmm. right? There's a lot of like, you know, stereotypical church names. You know, you got a lot of Calvaries. And, you, you know, you got a lot, you got a lot, you know, you know what I mean? Like there's certain just names. But one of the like prototypical names that I actually really love for a church is Berean. Mm-hmm. Just because of the context of what it means to be a Berean. Yeah. We it. don't we don't necessarily take what our pastor says for granted. Yeah. That's what that's that's what that church name means. Yeah. That's that's a warning to the new pastor coming in. Mm-hmm. That's why you <laughs> Yeah, but it's kidding. a good thing. Just it's a kidding. good thing. It's a good thing. Just kidding. Uh then they go to Athens. And here they're like at the center of philosophy. Yeah. In that in that time. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, and it even talks about how, you know, in the Oropagus, like people would just literally sit around and talk about ideas and stuff like that's what they right. did. And so Paul's like, perfect. I got something to share with you. And he points to the shrine of the unknown God and says, you guys didn't realize it, but the unknown God is the God, the only one. Mm-hmm. Um, and some people receive it well and some people don't kind of mixed, sure. mixed reviews, which is, you know kind of standard for Paul's ministry. Yeah, you know what? It almost reminds me of of Sikhism. Like, I sat down with a Sikh one time, and he was talking. I was amazed at how much the Sikh faith mm. has in common with Christianity in the concept of, like, one God, creator mm. of all, unifying, sustainer of all, to be sought and known. Right. But it lands on not yet known. Right. Okay. But continue looking for him. Right. And in that, I wanted to say, what if <laughs> he was known? Yeah. And the guy's like, I hear you, and it lines up, but I'm a Sikh and not a Christian. Mm. Like, your gurus are telling you <laughs> that this is not the end of it. This is the journey. What if that journey is leading you to this? Right. Yeah. And he's like, but I'm Sikh. And I was uh, like, all right. That's too bad. Yeah. Yeah, from there they go to Corinth. We read about this guy named Apollos who is going to um, be referenced later on. Paul goes to Ephesus where there's some disciples who knew about John's baptism but weren't really solid on Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so Paul clears that up for them. Uh, The sons of Sceva. We have yes. to we have to talk okay, about it because it's hilarious. It. Okay, so seven sons of a priest mm-hmm. who are in the business of casting out demons. So they think. So they think. <laughs> so so they go to this demon possessed man, and they try to cast the demon out in the name of Jesus, whom Paul right speaks of. <laughs> right. It almost reminds me. Do you remember in the movie The Mummy? Yes. There's the guy who, when he first sees the mummy, just starts, like, praying to all the random gods that he has necklaces for. Like, <laughs> yeah. one of these is going to work at some point. <laughs> yeah. Just sort of, like, naming down, like, I've seen Paul do this. He does it in the name of Jesus. So we're just going to hit Rich. all of our bases on the way to hope one of these is actually the cover that we need. Right. <laughs> yeah. And uh, he's like, the demon-possessed man's like, Jesus, I know. And Paul, I recognize. But who are you? 
And then he beats them all up. Beats him naked. <laughs> beats him naked and throws them out in the street. Seven of them. Anyways. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's sketchy. And anyways, Paul's little journey in Ephesus kind of uh, ends with a riot stirred up yep. by the people who make idols. I, I would say, I would say to that story of the sons of Sceva, sometimes we like to, to toss around this thing. It's like, as long as you say in the name of Jesus, mm. that is the incantation that's that causes need. whatever it is that you said to come true. Right. The magic words. Yeah. Read Acts 19. <laughs> so now let's let's move into uh, the first of the epistles this week, the first Thessalonians. Yes. Um, and I mean, kind of the 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 grove within the forest of first Thessalonians. There's a lot of emphasis on suffering, especially in the first half. The church is suffering. Paul has suffered. Um, but there's hope within that. Um, I really like how Paul uses this kind of dual analogy referring to uh, himself and Silas as being like mothers and being like fathers. Right. Talking about like they were gentle, like a nursing mother taking care of their children and like a father with this children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God. Right. And so like just kind of an interesting picture of what their role was in leading these people and kind of establishing this church. Yeah, it, it, First Thessalonians is is really not a letter written to— it feels more like he's just touching base with them. Yeah. Right? Like the first the first three chapters all feel like a big introduction. Yeah. Like, a, hey, just reminding you who we are. And remember, like, this sort of walk down memory lane. It all feels like one big salutation. Mm. And then verse 4 opens with, finally— or mm-hmm. chapter four opens with the word finally. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like the whole thing is this collection of, you know, an, an opening and a closing with no body in the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, so that he, he's just kind of touching base with them. I, I think it's just like a preacher to say in chapter, at the beginning of chapter four and for my last point, finally then brothers, and then <laughs> go on for two more chapters. Yeah. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> Classic. Uh, yeah. And I mean, he exhorts them to live a life of holiness and he starts talking Mm -hmm. about the coming of the Lord, right? And the day of the Lord, which, you know, he's going to come like, use that expression, a thief in the night. And he exhorts them to stay vigilant, to stay awake, to stay sober. Yeah. So there, there are some things in here that I think people are going to want to. He, in here, when he talks about the fact that you don't you don't need to know the time, mm. like he's like, no one needs to even talk about these things, mm-hmm. right? Um, and then he talks about how like at the same time you don't even need me to tell you because you're people of the light. Mm. So I've heard people take that to say um, that they were enlightened meant that they would understand the eschatological timelines and how things would fall out. I don't think that's what Paul's saying. I don't think Paul's encouraging us to try to solve the puzzle that is the end of time. Right. I think what he's saying is people in darkness would want for this kind of information because they got changes to make in their lives. They got things to do. But because your heart is already right with Christ, whatever God does to bring about his ultimate will in the end is going to be in your favor. And since you are in the light, how things end don't matter to you as much. Right. Yeah. When that takes place, how it takes place, it doesn't matter to you because 
you are going to in this be a part of the redemption of all things mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because you're in the light. And I think that's good for us to carry with us because I hear so many Christians completely stressed out by this could be the end. Right. To which I've become more and more comfortable saying, I hope so. Yeah. Bring it on. Yeah, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, right? Right, because it can only get, sure, there may be trials and tribulations in that process, Mm -hmm. but the end is all of creation redeemed to its creator. Yeah. So let's hope that it is. Yeah, I mean, if if people are going to feel any measure of, like, concern or stress because they believe that the end is imminent, that should be channeled into evangelism for the lost. Right. Right. But as far as worrying about yourself or worrying about this this world and the things of this world, like don't waste don't waste your, your time. Don't waste your energy. Um Second Thessalonians, don't be lazy. <laughs> yeah. Es- so what are we reading next? <laughs> First Corinthians. <laughs> We're gonna leave it at that. We can leave we, it at we that. We don't have to leave it at that. That was just that uh, was just I me mean being Second Thessalonians facetious. Yeah, okay. Uh, Second Thessalonians, I, I like what he's saying when he's talking to this, this church that is undergoing hardship and persecution. He, in his exhortation for them to remain faithful, he talks about how, uh, well, I'll just read it, and starting in uh, chapter 1, verse 5. This is the evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering, since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you, and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. The, the things that are coming against you, the people who are harming you and hurting you and, and you know, speaking evil against you, God will set that right. Like, just... Be patient, endure that, like God is going to set it straight. Like we don't, we don't have to keep a tally chart of those who've wronged us because God is, God is doing that already for us. And he is going to set things right in a much better way than we're able to in our own strength. Yeah. So the other day I was trying to explain this concept to my kids in one of those after dinner devotional things. And, uh, and I, I was talking about the flip side of it, the blessing side of it, mm. right? Because in Matthew, we see a conversation about those of you who do these things publicly to be seen by man, mm. your reward has been received. Because God not only has the ability to uh, correct people in a greater way than we do with a greater authority, he also has the ability to forgive in that same way. Right. And, and my analogy was, what if Miriam was going to say to you, Analia, you can have all of my money. That would be pretty cool. What if daddy was to say that to you? Hmm. Right? Don't settle. Mm -hmm. Um, But I also want to say this when it comes to correction. We can look at this and we can say, okay, I'm not going to take revenge. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Right. But I also am not going to look at people wronging me and say, oh, you're going to get yours. Right. <laughs> I've heard a lot of Christians go that direction with it. Mm. You're going to, I'm going to sit back and I'm going to smile at you mm. through my teeth. I'm going to be saying it's coming. 
and mm. you're going to get yours, mm. and I can't wait till you do. Right. Here's the problem with that. We're not going to get ours yeah, because of the cross of Christ, mm-hmm. because of grace and mercy. Mm-hmm. That God is keeping a tally. It could be that for all of the sins that they have done, including those sins against you, mm-hmm. they pay the price ultimately for faithlessness and eternal death. It also could be that God takes that tally and wipes the slate clean mm-hmm. and closes them with the righteousness of Christ. Mm-hmm. And he bears their punishment for what they did to you. Yeah. That is not only okay, it is the best case scenario. Yeah, it's better for sure, yeah. So yeah. we need to be very careful mm-hmm. wanting things avenged on our behalf. True. Either by ourselves or by God. Mm-hmm. But to just let it be and leave that between them and God. Right, yeah. Sounds good. Uh, the man of lawlessness. Do we want to talk about that? Sounds like you do. I mean, I, it's it was it's an it's interesting, right? Like this discussion about the what this guy who's coming mm-hmm. and he's going to do some terrible things. I think the thing that stood stood out to me the most, though, and this kind of touches on what we already talked about on the day of the Lord. He says to them, like, "Do not be alarmed or shaken or distressed at these things." Right. Right. Don't. Mm-hmm worry about it like he gives them some kind of explanation gives them some kind of like some idea of of how this whole scenario is going to play out Mm -hmm. but his his main reason for doing so is like look this is all part of the plan yeah let it ride right it's it don't worry about this it's it's coming but you just need to remain faithful stay vigilant but the vigilance is not so that oh i i can accurately identify who the man of lawlessness is right it's vigilance in the sense of like staying true to the calling that christ has placed on you remain faithful right continue running the race um and don't just like sit back and wait don't be lazy like right said. <laughs> and, and so and so one of the one of the conflicts that i have with with people who who are given to the whole like i have to identify who the man of lawlessness is and we have to be prepared and all of that sort of thing is sometimes what the outcome of that conversation is, is we have to stop this. Right. Right. We need to identify the Antichrist so that we can stop him. Yeah. Dissolve the UN. So, <laughs> so what you're, what the argument is then is we have to decode God's plan, right. what he has chosen not to reveal to us. We have to reveal of our own wisdom mm. so that, these things that Jesus says would come to pass will be halted mm-hmm. for the betterment of the church and all mankind. Right. And so it it really, in, in my view, and I'm sure that there are dispensationalists that would have a fit mm-hmm. hearing me say that. Yeah. Uh, David Jeremiah, Kenneth Hagee, these guys are just <laughs> not okay with what I just said. <laughs> But to me, that feels like the outcome of what they're pushing for, mm. right? These things have to be stopped or at least avoided. Mm-hmm. Jesus says they're going to happen. You're not going to stop it, and you're not going to avoid it, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Also, the instruction in this 
is not figure it out mm-hmm. or prevent it. Yeah. It is persevere in what you're already doing. Mm-hmm. Doesn't even encourage them to change their pace. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Keep on keeping on. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I, I like what you're saying. And like a lot of, a lot of people that I know, right they're they might not be so focused on trying to prevent this thing from happening, but it just like listening to the predictions and the analysis over and over again, you know, it, it just draws so much of their attention towards something and, and time and time again, over the years, over the decades and over the centuries, these, these men have wrongly predicted. Mm-hmm time and time again and so you know maybe maybe one day they'll get it right but i mean if you spend your entire life just constantly focused on on what might be on what world leader might be the man of lawlessness or whatever it it's just it's so um taxing on your emotional and mental energy yeah here's an ism for you a little tim quip that's not really. I love those. Put together in a, into a good quip form. I'll I'll work on it. I can steal them and put them in my sermons. <laughs> <laughs> if you're more concerned with becoming an expert in Revelations than you are in Romans, hmm. you might have an issue of faithlessness to deal with. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um. Because Romans Romans is all about how it is that we become saved, the power and the value of the gospel. Mm-hmm. A lot of people would rather talk about revelation and what's going to happen and how we can recognize it or potentially prevent it. Mm. And and the problem that I see in that is we're anxious and we don't like not knowing mm-hmm. and we're afraid of something that happens that's outside of our own wisdom and knowledge. Mm-hmm. And we become consumed by that rather than being consumed by the finished work of Jesus Christ and his power to save those who are lost. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think anyone would say, well, that should be neglected for the sake of understanding the end of times, the man of lawlessness, mm-hmm. what have you. Um, but like you said, the amount of energy and focus we give it prove that that's true in our hearts. Mm. And so I would I would warn against that. Sure. Well, let's get into the densest jungle we have before us. First Corinthians. So if we're going to run with this analogy, okay. like at some point when you're chopping your way through the jungle with a machete, mm-hmm. I speak on this from no expertise. <laughs> But you would imagine at some point you'd be like, that's the path we're going to take. Mm-hmm. We're going to hack our way through this. Mm-hmm. You're chopping at vines. We've been we've been knocking down some vines. Yeah. We made good way. Yeah. We've covered a couple chapters of Acts, two books of the Thessalonians mm-hmm. at 27 minutes, nine seconds. Nice. Sometimes you're just going to be like, oh, there's a tree. And this machete that I'm wielding <laughs> isn't going to move that tree. Right. <laughs> and that is First Corinthians. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's dense. Yep. Um, right off the get go, um, Paul is addressing the divisions that are existing in the church. Right. This is huge. Mm. We have this nostalgia for the early church as if they had it all together. Right. <laughs> right. What we want to do. I, it's not as common now as it was maybe 
15 years ago, but the talk was we want to return to the early church. We want to do everything the early church was doing. The early church had it. We want it. Mm. That's not the case. Especially not in Corinth. <laughs> Especially in Corinth. And I have seen Corinth Baptist Church. You Ooh. talk about people that have named their church. I have seen Ooh. a church named, and it wasn't the name of the town or oh. the community they were in. Corinth Baptist Church. I nearly, driving by, nearly wrecked my vehicle. <laughs> Slamming on the brakes. Did I read that? Maybe it's this Chronicles. No. Oh, man. Which would be an odd name, but still better than Corinth. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, I mean, obviously these factions are divided over, you know, who they see as the preeminent teacher, right? You know, is it Paul? Is it Apollos? Is it Peter? And then you got the people who just pulled the Jesus card. Right. Jesus Baptist Church. <laughs> which is what which is what people love to do so much. They're like, you know what, you do this. We just go back to the Bible. Mm. All you're saying in that is we just go back to our interpretation of the Bible. Yeah, that's, that's all that's all that that means. <laughs> Everyone arguably to some degree mm. is pulling their brand of Christianity from the Bible. Yeah. Some doing it better than others. Yes. But when people say we don't mess with any of that, we just go with the Bible and what it says, you are bringing with you the baggage of theology and doctrine that you believe are being expressed in the Bible. Yeah. It's impossible not to. Mm -hmm. It's dangerous not to. True. Because uh, these things are gifts that are birthed from the harmonization of all of Scripture into God's revelation. And if you try to just take every sentence— on its own, without bringing those harmonizations and the greater understandings together, you're going to end up with a mess. Yeah. Um, because the Bible isn't meant to be taken sentence by sentence. It's meant to be taken as a whole. That's the value of reading through it in a year mm -hmm. and getting that big picture. Um, but yeah, yeah, <laughs> Corinth. <laughs> so Paul talks about wisdom and foolishness. This is a pretty well-known passage yeah. right the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing but to mm. us who are being saved it is the power of god mm. right destroying the wisdom of the wise and making wise of the simple um you know i love hb charles yeah man he's great anyone listening who has never listened to hb charles what you need to do is just turn this off mm -hmm. go listen to hb charles together for the gospel 2019 He's brilliant. So good. The first time I saw him was uh, at uh, T4G, Together for the Gospel. Did I say Together for the Gospel last time? It should be the no, Gospel you said, Coalition. No, you said TGC. Okay. Yeah. I saw him at Together for the Gospel, uh, which is the same thing, but instead of red it, or green, it's red. Right. That's basically <laughs> the difference between the two organizations, yeah. same people and everything. <laughs> he was preaching from this. This was the text that he was given. Okay. And he did the whole pastoral thing where you talk about a fictional thing as if it's a real thing. And so he... You don't really know, was there really a church or whatever, but he says there's a church and the cornerstone of their building, they put, we preach Christ crucified. Mm. And over the years, subtly, the landscaping grows and the ivy creeps up the building. And it only says now, we preach Christ. Mm. That was okay. But in time... The ivy grows until it only says, we preach. 
and then ultimately just we. Hmm. And how we go how? from we preach Christ crucified, mm-hmm. the focus being the crucifixion, mm-hmm. him bearing the penalty of our sin, to just talking about us and ourselves and the what's in it for me. Mm-hmm. That's HB. Yeah, it's good stuff. And it's the kind of thing that makes you, even three years after reflecting on that sermon, sit in your podcasting chair going, mm-hmm. man, that's good. Yeah. I mean, the reality is that like the, the message of Christ crucified I mean, for for a world that is not familiar with that is strange, right? When when foreign peoples came in contact with Christianity, right, they were baffled. Yeah, they're like, wait, you use this the you know the cross on which your God died as a symbol of like as a symbol of your faith? Like, what's that all about? Right? Didn't make sense to them. It was it was. It was folly to them. It's the reason we have Islam. Right. Because Muhammad looked at these things and said, these things that the Jews and the Christians are talking about mm-hmm. seem right in some areas, but it just cannot be that God would humble himself mm. and bear the penalty. Yeah. And so that's why if you read the Quran, you'll find that a lot of the Bible is in the Quran, Yep. but it's tweaked in that the heroes of the Bible don't make mistakes. Mm-hmm. And God doesn't humble himself before his creation. That's the greatest tweak, and that mm-hmm. tweak is everything. Yeah, yeah. Everything. Yeah. Um, Paul discusses the ministry of the apostles, mm-hmm. and he goes into length about what it is to follow this calling, what, what it is meant for him and his colleagues to walk this path. But the verse that stood out to me most was verse 13, where he says, we have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. That, that is the, that's the calling to apostleship, mm-hmm. is that the scum of the world. Not lift me up. Yeah. But I'm in here with you. That's, I'm just total aside here, but like Christian apparel, scum of the world. Make a shirt. I, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> I like it. Um, yeah, so from there we get into one of the key, real key uh, focuses of Corinthians, which is sexual immorality. Paul is explicit. That it has no place in the church. And there's a man who has taken his father's wife, his stepmother, I would assume. Mm-hmm. And Hope. Hope. Yeah, seriously. Um, and Paul is... this. Paul is serious about this right this needs to be taken seriously he says deliver him to satan to destroy his flesh so that his spirit might be saved what exactly he's talking about there i don't know but Mm -hmm. i think he's being i mean definitely pushed out of the church yeah so so the way i interpret this is say if you don't practice church discipline if you don't confront him and have hard and awkward conversations these people are going to continue in this, believing that it's okay because it's being affirmed by the church. Not just ignored, but affirmed by the church. Mm-hmm. And ignoring would also be affirmation, Yeah, just to say. Um, and in that, they are going to live in their sin rather than dying to their sin. They mm-hmm. will have their life now, and they will ultimately lose it. Yeah. Yet. If you come against them and confront them and say, die to yourself and turn from your sin, their souls will be saved. 
Mm -hmm. um, I think the most important passage in this 1 Corinthians 5, uh, this very short chapter, is verse 9. I wrote you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world. Or the greedy or the swindlers or the idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. <laughs> Church, you spend, we spend far too much time and energy condemning a condemned world. Yeah. Looking at sinners and saying, see how they sin. When the Bible teaches us to come against these things, it is not teaching us to come against a lost world but anyone who would call himself a brother. We get this entirely backward. We do. We point fingers at a lost and unbelieving world, and we turn a blind eye to those who would call themselves believers because we don't want to create awkwardness in the church. And that is 100% opposite of what Paul is teaching to the point that he goes out of his way to state it explicitly so that we don't get that wrong yet. We get it wrong. Mm -hmm. The world does not need to become moralized. The world needs Jesus. Yeah. And so whatever a person's sin is, I could care less. Mm -hmm. The point is they need Jesus. Yeah. Once they've received Jesus and claim him as their savior, then we will talk about what it means to live in such a way that expresses worship to Christ. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But all sin has the same cure and the same address for the lost. Yeah. Die to yourself, live in Christ. Yeah. Amen. Um, we got to quit getting that wrong. Yeah. And so he kind of transitions. There, there's a bit of a transition when we get into chapter six, mm -hmm. but not taking up our grievances with our brothers and sisters in the pagan courts. He says, to have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? Yeah. I mean, but this is this is real, right? Like we hear about this happening in churches, right? Like, or amongst Christian brethren, right? There, there's a, a disagreement or some something's gone on. And uh, and rather than deal with it within the church, right? And I'm not talking about like criminal, I'm talking about criminal things here. But I'm talking about, like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm talking about, like, lawsuits and whatnot. Sure. Like, why why take that to a pagan system? Why do you think that a godless system is going to resolve that better mm -hmm. than the congregation or the elders of the church? Yeah. Let's say, for example, in your home you had two teenage daughters. One of them borrowed the other one's clothes without asking. Mm. Do you call the police or do you handle it as a family? Right. Why would it be different in the church? Yeah. You know what the answer to that is? Because we don't see each other as family. Mm -hmm. We see each other as members of a similar community. Mm -hmm. And we would call the police on someone from the community that came in and stole our clothes. Right. <laughs> I didn't even plan that one. That just came out. That was great. That was great. Um, now, speaking of law, um, Paul... He says for the first time, and he, he says this kind of uh, a couple of times, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. Mm -hmm. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. No entitlement. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Is Paul for or against marriage? 
He is for it in general. But in the context with which they were in, which is a community under severe persecution, Mm -hmm. he's saying it might be better to remain single. In that, right? Mm -hmm. That's that's my interpretation of what he's saying, right? Um, He says that it is good for a man to have relations with a woman, right? It's a good thing. If he desires. Yeah. But he says, but he also says that, you know, it would be good for many of you to remain the way that I am uh, because it frees him up to be 100% devoted to the ministry mm-hmm. at hand, right? Yeah. I, I would say that um, there's there's a lot of context coming into this discussion about singleness and whether it's better or not. Yeah, and, and I think if you take the section together as a whole, which we're going to have to start doing because the clock is flying, <laughs> uh, issues oh, yeah. issues of what is your right in court, what is your right for marriage, what mm-hmm. is your right for food and mm-hmm. issues of idols where it might cause other people to stumble. Uh, all of this in 9, Paul says, what are my rights? Yeah. He sets them aside for the sake of the gospel. Right. And that is preeminent mm-hmm. in what he's doing. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, he says, I've become all things to all people that by all means I might save some, and I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. Right? He's going. He's going to, while still remaining true to the gospel and true to his calling, he is going to do what he can to get through to people, mm-hmm. right? He's not going to allow, you know, whether it's Jewish dietary restrictions or Greek customs or whatever it might be, as long as it's not hindering the calling of God and the teachings of Christ, he is going to do whatever he needs to do to remove those barriers to get the gospel to them, mm-hmm. right? Now, some people take that idea too far, Right. We're going to just not teach things that are hard. We're just going to avoid taboo subjects because we don't want it to be a hindrance. That's not what Paul is saying. We know that's not what he's saying. Just read the the epistle. But as as it relates to people's sensitivities, people's cultures, he's going to do what he can to be able to share the gospel with them. Right. Head coverings, Tim? That's what I was going to say. <laughs> Don't ask me. You're the senior pastor. That I defer to you. Yeah. Yeah. So so what's going on with head coverings? Because this is something that seems to be very explicit in the, in the scripture. This and, is and, the... This, hold on. Before okay. we do this, let's just acknowledge this is going to be an hour long episode. Yeah. Sorry, everybody. Okay. Can I just say... You can break it up into two parts if you want to. <laughs> with, the, with the head coverings thing, as, just going back to our jungle analogy, mm-hmm. this is like the really hairy caterpillar... That I'm not sure if I want to touch it. <laughs> I'm just like, that looks like it might be dangerous for me to mess with. <laughs> right. So so here's this is this is going to be a bigger thing than just head coverings. This is going yeah. to be about biblical yeah. interpretation as a whole. Mm. Right? So what we want to look at when we're looking at concepts of biblical interpretation and how we handle particular things. What we try to do then is to say, okay, how does it fit inside of the whole? Because that really matters, Yeah. right? So we look at this and we're like, okay, women wear head coverings. Why? Because angels. <laughs> Simple. I, <laughs> what, what else do you need me to say? 
Uh, so, so the question is, this is strange, and it's bizarre, and it seems to stand out uniquely in Scripture. Where else does he talk about head coverings? He doesn't. Mm-hmm. No one does, right? And so that no one does, we can identify this as strange because mm-hmm. it is technically different than all other things yeah. being talked it's about. A, a unique, so unique, yeah, strange. Uh, yet the inspired word of God. Sure. Of course. So in that, we look and we're like, all right, what was the, the practice and the purpose of head coverings? What, where can we even know about this? And what we find out is this is a part of their culture in, in that wearing a head covering was the same thing as what we would interpret as wearing a wedding ring. Okay, yeah. Right? Um, it is a very dangerous thing to say that no longer applies to us because it was a cultural thing. Mm. And we've advanced beyond that. Mm-hmm. That tag is used for any number of heresies. Right. Right? And so anytime a person says that, they are walking on very delicate ground. Mm-hmm. Yet, there are instances where the application of a biblical truth is expressed in a cultural context. Mm. And the truth is applicable, and the expression is contextual, mm-hmm. if that makes sense any sense at all it does and actually if you take that that method and apply it to some of the other things particularly around perhaps things like sexuality and gender where people are using that say oh it's all just a cultural thing but if you go back to what is the found the, the foundational truth being expressed that you you're you can't use the method you just described to get right. to the conclusion that certain groups have have gotten to in recent decades right Right, so so the truth of what he's saying here is he's talking about humbling ourselves before God and man mm-hmm. in our worship. And one of the ways that we would do this is that married people would identify themselves as married and not play that game of vanity that still does the whole, I still got it. <laughs> people are still interested. Right. Um. And, and sort of flaunting that in one way in this first century context that that could be done mm. is to slip off the wedding ring mm. or in their context, pull back the veil mm-hmm. in a way to say passively, I'm available. I'm available. Right. Um, only maybe to later be like, oh, you know, sorry, I'm married, but flattered that you noticed. <laughs> um, and he's just saying there's no place for that. Mm. Right? We, our marriages are a playing out of the gospel. Mm-hmm. I am given to Christ fully and I am not flirting mm-hmm. with the things of this world. Mm-hmm. And especially in worship, we're going to play this game of sort of like a duality. No, no, be given, mm. die to self and be given to. The relationship that you have in Christ. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that is the big picture explanation mm-hmm. of what's going on with head coverings and why I would say the biblical truth stands, right? Mm-hmm. If if there was an issue in our church of 
men and women who are married being flirty and playing that game, you call that out. Yeah. For these exact biblical reasons. Right. Does it mean that they need to wear a little doily on their head hmm. because that's what saves them? No. Right. No. And 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 I think we can also point that out because that would be a law that would stand very peculiar in a covenant of grace. Yeah. Yep. Oh, agreed. So there's your furry caterpillar. There we go. Touch it. You dealt with it very well. Um, the Lord's Supper. <laughs> Do it properly. Do it properly. A lot of times what people will take with this, they'll be like, if you've not been baptized and you take the Lord's Supper, you're drinking condemnation upon yourself. Mm. Don't do that. That's not exactly what's going on. Mm -hmm. What's going on is the Lord's Supper, which in this case was less ceremonial as far as just like a nibble that we do and more of a meal. Yeah. Ultimately, symbolically, that doesn't seem to matter. The prescription is not that it has to be a full meal. Mm -hmm. The prescription is that you have... Three elements, the bread, the cup, mm-hmm. the juice of the vine, um, for a minute or not, doesn't yeah, matter. Yeah, yeah. does matter that it's unleavened bread, personally, um, <laughs> because it's symbolism of yeah. Christ's I'm sinlessness. With I'm with you. And the gathered body. Right. The three elements, right? The bread, the cup, the gathered body. Um, they were doing it as a full meal, and some people were using it as an opportunity to get drunk. Yeah. Some people were keeping others away from the meal and sending them home hungry mm-hmm. um, because they were being greedy. And Paul is saying, you, n- not the unbeliever, taking a part of communion as if they were a believer, but believers were creating an abomination of this ordinance. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't think that unbelievers should take communion. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it is right to tell them they're drinking upon themselves condemnation. Mm. I think that is written to the church. Right. Who is making an abomination mm-hmm. of an ordinance. Yeah, I mean, essentially what's what seems to be the the core issue here is a focus on the individuality. Mm-hmm. Right? So it's like, I'm going to do this thing, right? Regardless of, in a way, that benefits me, regardless of how that impacts other people. Um but that's that's not what it's about. It's the the communal aspect, and that I mean that leads into the discussion on spiritual gifts in one body, right? right? Being one body, right? So spiritual gifts, different gifts for different people. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm the the idea of being one body as well with various parts and various functions. Um, again, like. I've said this before, like Christianity is not an individual sport. Like we run this race in, in community. Right. Right. And I think again, our kind of Western and hyper individualistic culture has really bled into our ecclesiology. And, and for so many people, their faith is just this private little thing that they do. And it's no problem for them to, you know, separate themselves from the church. And I realize in our current season, there's, there's reasons for that and that's fine. But apart from these kind of extenuating circumstances, people who just kind of are like, no, I just kind of do my own thing. Right. You don't have to, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Yeah. I've heard that so many times. Yeah. But I would also say, um, you would be hard pressed to be an obedient Christian, not going to church. Yeah. Yeah. Because forsaking all the gathering. 
Yeah, is sin. And for you not to be convicted of that sin mm-hmm. for an extended period of time, right? It's a problem. So that everyone knows, 1 Corinthians 13 is about the love of the church. Yeah, I was going to say that too. Uh, Not a husband and wife per per se. I know. It's like, I I would say that it's okay. Sure. It's okay to read that at a wedding. Yep. Um, Because presumably, if you've read the first part of Corinthians, you know that your marriage is supposed to be between Christians. Right. And not a believer marrying a non-believer. Yeah. So with that assumed... Right. Your love for your spouse is also a love for a fellow church member. That's right. <laughs> um, but ultimately, it is about the love we express within the body of Christ. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That kind of sacrificial love is not to be reserved for only your home, for right. only your household. And that is not to cut the feet out from under a call to deeper marital love. Mm-hmm. It's to raise the bar on what it means to love those people who share the sanctuary that you go to on a Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. And maybe even beyond that, too. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> Chapter 14. Here's a here's a here's a snake. Oh, look, we're at the hour mark. Here's a snake in the grass. Yeah. <laughs> Prophecy in tongues. Prophecy in tongues. So how do how do we interpret this? Prophecy is being the voice of God. Okay. Right? Thus says the Lord. Right. I think that when we read the scripture, we are saying thus says the Lord. Mhm. And that is in by extension prophetic. Okay. Right? Yeah. Maybe not directly in the same way that Isaiah would have done it. Mhm. Uh but it is not without its precedent inside of scripture to say thus it is written. Mhm. Or thus says the Lord in reference to mm-hmm. the direct utterance of God. Um, that's what I see as prophecy. One thing that I, I want to point out is that prophecy is very rarely a this is what's going to happen in a trivial way. Mm-hmm. I Part of me wants to get into examples here. Part of me wants to be really careful with it. Um, sometimes people will come in and they'll say, like, God told me that you're going to get a promotion. Mm-hmm. Right, that is never biblical prophecy. Yeah, it's it's just not. Yeah, biblical prophecy is generally repent. Mm-hmm. Right, there are moments where we see call to the end, not to say this is the future. Isn't it cool that now you know the future? Mm-hmm. But to say prepare your heart mm-hmm. because this is what is to come. Mm-hmm. Or repent and prepare your heart because this is what you have going on. Mm-hmm. That is the biblical context for prophecy. So if someone wanted to take a challenge against my interpretation of how do we practice in the modern era, biblical prophecy being the reading of scripture, I would say, I'll hear you out so long as what you are supporting as prophecy is not here are three fun facts about your future. Right. Here's or, how the election is going to turn out. Right. Right. Um, if that is not just in an individual moment, but if that is the pattern of those prophecies, right. is it going to be a boy or a girl? Right. Kind of a thing. Um, so long as it doesn't fall into that pattern or it isn't only hyper positive. 
because a lot of times when, when people want to talk about prophecy, they only say positive things. Yeah. Um, and because I'm a negative person, I don't have space for that. <laughs> no, because, <laughs> because when God comes in prophecy, he is generally saying, prepare your heart, repent. Mm. Um, and so those are things that I think need to be watched out for. Tongues. We covered this when we did Acts chapter 2. I think it was last week. Yep. um, Because we're flying. (laughs) Uh, It seems as though glossolalia is more plausible from this passage. From this passage. If you were going to make an argument for glossolalia from 1 Corinthians 14. Mm Mm-hmm you have to distinguish it as something separate than what happened at Pentecost. Agreed. Yeah. Right? If you do that, then what we're left with is Paul calling something out that we have no foundation for. Hmm. Because it is, glossolalia as practiced is opposite of what happens in Acts chapter 2. It's not mm-hmm. Pentecost. It's mm-hmm. the opposite. Mm-hmm. And if that's your foundation for 1 Corinthians 14, then it's a baseless foundation. Mm. And, and if we can't use Acts chapter 2, then we have no clue what's going on in, Acts, in 1 Corinthians 14. Mm. Unless we're going to continue to read tongues as languages, as it is so obviously to be interpreted in Acts chapter 2, in which case we say, are people just sort of like, this is my language and I'm going to talk in my language instead of common language for the sake of edifying the brothers. Mm-hmm. Um, Paul says, stop it. Cause you're only confusing people. Mm-hmm. Don't do it in public. Yeah. Right. I, I think, I think even, even as someone who says, I'm not, I'm not ready to say this is ironclad. What is going on in first Corinthians 14? And I can prove it to you. I'll admit that. Can I then say to Pentecostalism, the charismatic movement, I don't think that what you're doing is the biblical gift of tongues as described in Corinth. I would say yes for two reasons. One, you tie it to Acts chapter two, Mm -hmm. which it doesn't seem to be. Um, Secondly, uh, Paul says it's not the greatest of gifts, Mm -hmm. yet it is elevated, right? Mm -hmm. As a necessary manifestation. in In some instances. And... And also, he says, don't do it in public, mm-hmm. which is where it is very commonly practiced. Yeah. Right? And so I would say, oh, and also, there has to be an interpreter, mm-hmm. which is definitely a confusing thing for me. I get that. Mm-hmm. Um, but most often not interpreted. Mm-hmm. Right? That it's for the edification of the church, yet the church is left unknowing of what's taken place. Yeah. Um, so for all of those things, I would say, even if glossolalia was, is what is taking place in first Corinthians, it is not taking place in the manner that the charismatic movement is practicing it. Yeah. So, so even if I'm not ready to say as an ironclad, I can prove that it's languages, which I believe it to be, yeah. I would say it is still not glossolalia as practiced in the mm-hmm many churches today yeah as i was reading through the chapter there were times where i'm like oh i'm pretty sure he's talking about actual languages and then there'd be a verse and i'd be like "Mm, hmm, hmm, 
actually, I don't know. Right. <laughs> That's an interesting way to phrase that if, if it is. But mm-hmm. but in any case, I think uh, I think the comment is, is valid, right? Um, I remember distinctly remember i know we're going over time but whatever now it's, it's just <laughs> the clock's a joke at this it's point. a joke at this point i remember being uh my mom attended a fairly charismatic church not far from here not not in the same town as us but um and we were instructed in children's church just open your mouth and let the sounds come out that's how you do it mm-hmm. and once you would do that then they would baptize you that was the that was kind of the way that it worked. So being in a children's church and they did the slaying of the spirit and all that stuff in children's church, um, it was as simple. The instruction was as simple as that. Right. And, uh, and the kids who did were rewarded mm-hmm. and the kids who didn't were not. Yeah. Being slain in the spirit is a whole other thing. Yeah. We don't, yeah, we, that's, that's, yeah, we're, yeah, we're, that's down a different path. That's not part of this <laughs> jungle. <laughs> and, and the purpose of this is not to be like, Oh, we're, I, I want to say we're Baptist, but also we have to remember that this podcast is carried by the Gospel Coalition, which They're not spans beyond that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but still would be more of a similar non-charismatic camp. The, the, mm-hmm. the point of this is not to say, see how wrong they are and yeah. how right we are. The point of this is to say that the people listening to this mm-hmm. are probably listening to it because they agree with us on the greater expansion of how things are. Mm-hmm. And it's confusing when Bible teachers disagree. Mm-hmm. The point of it is not to say, hey, our neighbors— on either side of the city around us are all wrong and this is why they're ridiculous. Mm-hmm. The point of it is to say this is why we stand firm on where we're at and don't throw it up as a whole well you like it and we don't kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. There there seems to be biblical grounds by which we can look at it and mm-hmm. say I can't comfortably participate in that because this is my scriptural conviction. Yeah. Yeah, we want to make sure that yeah. like we're not ignoring these things. Right. Right. Like like maybe we've been accused of in the past of like or, or are you just skipping over this chapter? You're just not paying attention to it. No, no, no. We we've read it, we've searched it, and, and this is the conclusion we've come to. Right. Um worship is to be orderly. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean that's the next little bit, right? Worship is to be orderly. There's to be structure. And that's why Alex gives us the order of service with how many seconds we have for our prayer time and everything. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I don't know what the early church did without planning center, but, uh, <laughs> but, but in, but here's the thing: it it is not to be a chaotic. It is not to be a circus. It is not to be a show, and it doesn't mean that there is no room for any kind of spontaneity. But still, there there is there is to be a dignity with which the church gathers and worships together. Mm-hmm. So, so chaos in worship does not prove the presence of the Holy Spirit. In some ways, you can make a Pauline argument to say it proves otherwise. Yes. And then we get to, we're, we're closing in on the end here of First Corinthians, and this has been, again, just been hard slogging through this for us, but... Let's do 15 and 16. Yeah. I mean, it's supposed, technically it's supposed to be part of next week's reading, but I ain't scared. Let's do it. You scared? No. All no. right. The resurrection of Christ, right? It's a thing. It's a thing. And Paul talks about how the fact that it's a thing is central. It is vital. He says, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Right? And we are to be pitied above all others. Mm-hmm. Not just, Not just we are to be pitied but above 
all others, mm-hmm. we're to be pitied. Yeah, because we're ridiculous. You're wonder. I wonder where it's coming from. I don't know if this is like former Sadducees. Yeah, that's kind of what I was feeling who, too. Who had who had uh, converted? A little Sadducee residue. Yeah, seriously. Going on. Yeah, you've got the Judaizers on one end, and the mm-hmm. yeah the resurrection deniers on the other. But this is the central focus. This is this is important. He talks about the the evidence. He actually goes into like, look, he appeared to the apostles. He appeared to over five hundred people. Most of them are still alive. Go go ask them. Go talk to them. Track track them down. Yeah, and let them let them tell you what they've witnessed. Which is a huge apologetic point, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes people will be like, be like that book was written two thousand years ago, if even. And mm-hmm. so, how can you even know that these? Okay, for us now, it was. Mm-hmm. It wasn't always. It's not like someone found this in 1972 and was like, hey, check this out. Mm-hmm. Right? This book has been with us since yeah. those days when they were writing to say, some of you were there. Yeah. And there were people in the room hearing this letter going, yeah. Yeah. This is not Muhammad going into a cave all by himself. Right. Right. This is not Joseph Smith finding some plates in a hill and showing them to a couple buddies, allegedly, and then burying them again. Like, this is hundreds of people, right? Like, this is, yeah. Anyways, um, the the case for Christ, as Lee Strobel wrote, is significant. It is solid. The case for the mm-hmm. resurrection is significant. There are, even, there are even secular scholars who might acknowledge, who can acknowledge that it, it seems like this guy rose from the dead. Right. Like, and we're not say, Christians, they, but... Yeah, without question. And D.A. Carson does a great work on the legitimacy of the New Testament scriptures mm. um, based on a historical uh, probability and, uh, and study in that way. Mm-hmm. It's, it's significant. And, and it's not just significant because it is a historical fact, but what happens because Christ is raised and because we are now in him and have the hope of being raised, mm-hmm. right? And, and Paul connects this all the way back to Adam, Right, for as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Right, and and I wouldn't say we believe it only because it's a historical fact, but I would say if it wasn't a historical fact, there would be no reason to believe it. Sure, right, and I think that's Paul's point. Mm-hmm. This is our human experience. It is a historical fact. It is reality. And because it is a historical reality, we can also trust that it is also a future reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Highlights? Oh, man. Um, I think for me, it would have to be uh, just going back to uh, Paul's conversation with the Athenians, right? And how he understanding to some degree their philosophy like addresses them he finds common ground to begin the conversation right Mm -hmm. and i think there's something we can learn from that in as we're addressing people in different contexts right i think that as we engage in apologetics and evangelism uh, one really common tactic is you know even those who profess to be atheists believe in some kind of truth and if you press them I mean, they might say, well, truth is relative or whatever, but if you press them, they you'll find more often than not that they haven't really thought these questions through. If anyone says truth is relative, they have not thought it through because that is a self-defeating statement. Yeah, that's an objective statement. It is an objective statement. statement. <laughs> I know. So in any case, there, what we can take from that is some 
instruction on how we ought to engage with people. Find out where they're at and and go from there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, holding up a placard on a street corner might not be the best way. Again, not trying to... Not, some people, that's they feel called to do that. That's fine. But at least speaking from a personal personal experience, um, having conversations with people that begin on meaning of life, truth, those types of things, being able to point to Christ from that um, is far more successful. Yeah. Yeah. For me, I would say a pattern that I see through this Mm. uh, that is going to be picked up on in 2 Corinthians and particularly in Acts chapter 20 Mm. is Paul makes an appeal to the faith of the church to those people that he has ministered to based off of his own example of faith. Right. As a pastor, that is huge. Mm-hmm. That I would live my life in such a way that I would say, as Paul says to them, you are, you are my reward and my joy. Hmm. The people who listen to my sermons or podcasts <laughs> are my reward and my joy. Consider the way that I lived in front of you, the faith that I had, and follow me as I follow him. Hmm. Follow my example as I follow his example. Hmm. That'll make you rethink some things. Yeah. Um, let it be said of me. Hmm. And uh, we live our every day setting a stage so that one day we can look back and say, have I not faithfully and humbly led you all this time? Mm-hmm. Now in your point of crisis, consider that. Mm-hmm. Instead of just sort of doing my thing, living for me, and then expecting people in their point of crisis to want to hear what I had to say. Right. Yeah. It's been a long one, folks. Thanks for hanging around. If you did. (laughs) Thanks for listening. This podcast is a resource of Memorial Labs Church in Stratford, Ontario, in cooperation with the Gospel Coalition of Canada. It's produced by Alex Walker. Have a good day. See you later.